Indeed you are, Shavua Tov, and of course, Chag Sameach, today is the first day of the candle lighting uh, holiday of Hanukkah, one where we see that a little bit of light certainly dispels a lot of darkness. Hope everybody is in their festive mood and that you are celebrating this really, really, um, I think, very happy and uh, unifying um, holiday around Johannesburg and with with people, with family, with friends, with shuls. Um, there's much that is happening, um, and it's it's a good time. It's a good time. Um, it always always reminds one that if one sticks to being good and sticks to be doing the right thing, that we will we will overcome. Um, and much more about that tomorrow, uh, hopefully with Howard Feldman in the morning. What we are going to be doing now is coming back and focusing on the Parsha of Bereshit. Today is a festive time. Um, we should be celebrating all together, everybody out there. I know that um, we are celebrating virtually, but we are going to be completing today the Parsha of Bereshit. We have been learning Bereshit since the ninth of April, um, going through the, the, the book of Genesis, not the book of Genesis, but just the partial of Genesis, just the, um, that, those couple of, of chapters are actually just, just on six chapters, the first six chapters of the book of Genesis, which describes the beginning of this world, describes Adam and Eve, and then all the generations until we come to Nach. Please God, next year, um, when I'm back in this seat, we will start learning the Pasha of Noach and continuing and seeing how uh, civilization was developed and uh, the stories behind it. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pick up on chapter to 5 verse 32 and we are going to just read the last couple of verses in chapter 5 go into chapter 6 just um, I think it's 8 verses up to Noah and just discuss one or two more important ideas what I'd love is to hear from you and for you to let me know have you gained anything out of uh, this book of Genesis? Has, has, it, has it made you look at things differently? Have you learned something different? Has it changed your life in some way? Let's try have a virtual seum, a virtual Parsha party, and uh, let's get some feedback here. Of course, the SMS line is 34519. The WhatsApp is 0618951019. Has has the book uh, learning the book of Genesis or any of the uh, you know the ideas that we have shared online? What has it done to you? Has it has it made an impact? Has it made you even think about something, or, or or change the way that you look at things? And while you are pondering that and hopefully SMSing in, we are going to continue um, and just understand the lineage. Yes, last week we were discussing. Um, the various sons that gave birth to further sons for the, from Adam all the way to Noah. There were 10 generations spanned um, close on 1,500 years all together. Uh, Noah, the 10th generation, was born in the year, and I'm talking before, uh, I'm talking the Jewish year, 1056, which corresponds to the um, the BCE year, the before um, before the Common Era, two thousand seven hundred and five, and um, we have the verse in verse thirty-two that reads as follows: Vayehi Noach ben Chamesh me'otchana. Noach was five hundred years old. Vayoled Noach et Shem et Cham 
ve'et Yafet. Noach gives birth to Shem, Ham, and Yafet. Those are his three sons. And as we will pick up next year, these are the only people, Noach um, and his wife, his three sons and their wives are the only ones that survive then the catastrophic destruction of the world through um, flooding. But before we just actually continue and understand Shem and Shem, Ham and Yafet and who they were, one of the questions and ideas that I'd, I wanted to discuss is many people, and even for myself, I, like, I, I thought about it a lot, is why did people live so long in those days? You can see that the majority landed up uh, living close to a thousand years. In fact, um, the only one that died young, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, was Hanoch. He died at 365 years. But um, the 10 generations, all of them were in their 900s. Um, Lemach was 777. Why did they um, live for so long? And in, involved in that question then, of course, is that one could start arguing that this, when we're talking about the fact that they lived close on a thousand years, we're not talking about the same thousand years as we understand the thousand years today. That perhaps it was on a different cycle. Perhaps they were talking about lunar cycles of 29 days, um, which is a, it's a shortened form if you start adding 29 times 12 as opposed to 365, that, the, you know, that, that maybe it was euphemistic, et cetera, et cetera. But if you start going down that road, let's just take the argument of that the years mentioned here are not solar years containing 365 days, but lunar cycles. Um, and if you go then back and see how all these people gave birth, um, we would then see that um that 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 where it says for example Mahalalel fathered um a a son Metashelach at sixty two. If those years were actually months or we tried to reduce it, it would mean that these guys were only five years old. Um, so if you start trying to m condense the time and saying, well, it was euphemistic them talking living a thousand years, it really was much shorter time. Then if you start doing the mathematics, um, what we're saying is that, you know, guys were five years old when they, they gave birth, which, which wasn't true. In fact, the opposite was, um, is true and remains true that they actually had very, very long lives. And uh, one of the most foremost commentators on the Torah, Rabbi Moshe Maimonides, the Rambam, he gives a very interesting explanation. And I want you all to hear up on this explanation because maybe, maybe, maybe we're starting to learn that truth again. The Rambam writes that one of the reasons for this extreme longevity um, of, of these individuals um, was that they were very careful with, wait for it, their diet. Okay, this is what the Rambam wrote. The Rambam wrote this in the 12th century. He said one of the reasons they lived so long um, in the beginning was because of their diets. Why? Because, says the Rambam, they did not eat meat or any um, animal products, nor did they ever drink wine or any other intoxicating beverages, and that their entire diet consisted only of natural, natural, purely vegetarian products. And the only beverage they had was water. Um, further, the Rambam continued, they also ate very carefully measured amounts, exactly the optimum portion. And they followed this regime their entire lives without 
exception, meaning they, they never ate too much um, because, says the Rambam, eating too much has a tendency to weaken man's constitution. Now, isn't that, I went, wow, when, when I learned that, um, we're only coming around right now and, and understanding, you know, how, how we're supposed to eat. Today, certainly, we're, we're way beyond um, what Rambam is talking about. He's just saying they didn't have any meat, they didn't have any animal products, no wine, they drank, they, they had a basically vegetarian diet. Today, um, we can go and add to that. They had a, they, they had org- an organic diet because certainly there were no pesticides and um, there were there were no additives and preservatives and all the the stuff that we get today that makes our lives very convenient and very easy. But um, as research is finding out, it actually has a a bad effect on. Um, our, our constitutions. So the Rambam gives a very, very practical um, explanation that if one maintains um, and eats a healthy diet, then certainly and, and an optimum portion and, you know, just drink water that you are not causing the harm that we know um, happens to us because of everything that we do today. That was one very, very interesting uh, idea, and I think it's a it's a feather in the cap of all those that are um, vegetarian, vegan, you name it, all the different isms and and, and things that, that that we follow today, um, and and a, a great comment on our our society and and how we should look at things and and think about things. The other essential factor um, and a very, very interesting one, um, again brought down by the Rambam, is that there was extreme moderation in sexual activity. Um, The Rambam writes there again that when one um, is involved in this activity um, a lot, it will weaken man's constitution and will reduce his lifespans. And so the Rambam explains that's why the Torah goes on to explain that he was 300 years old when he gave birth to his first son and he lived to 900. Why the repetition all the time? A, to um, tell us about their diet and B, about um, their moderation in dealing with uh with 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 in, in the active the, the sexual activity and that's why they actually um lived long again comment on our society where you know we tend to indulge in both of these things um in in a bad way and um it obviously has an effect you're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski Welcome back, and we were just discussing uh, the secret to longevity. Well, here you have it right in the book of Genesis towards the end of the Pasha, made by a comment of Maimonides that eating um, a vegan diet that is uh, naturally pure vegetarian products, drinking water, and uh, having a moderation in terms of our intimate uh, lives, will give us that longevity. Um, one of the other reasons given, this was Rambam, he gave practical reasons, is that God wanted to populate the world with people who would recognize and uh, understand God's greatness, you know, to understand the ways of the stars, the planets, etc., etc. Now, remember, they didn't have, um, they didn't have, 
books. They didn't have libraries. They didn't have Google. They didn't have any information. Everything that they had to work out, they had to work out on their own. And so the longevity was there in order to allow people to complete those studies and get to understand it. And it took a long, long time for them to unravel the secrets and mysteries of uh, of the world, and so that was a, another reason. Just got an SMS in that said, "Wow, Adel, what an enlightening information! I've been vegan since 2015. Well, well done on that. I'm on my way. I can't say that I'm completely vegan, but I'm understanding and appreciating uh, the 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 reasons why one should try to stick to a plant-based diet." Thank you, there, Rene. Other rabbis, though, look at this entire thing and see, take a completely different approach. They say that Adam was the work of God's own hands, um, and had he not sinned, he would have been immortal. And the, the actual makeup of Adam was, was very strong because it was designed by God to last forever. So even though it was decreed that he would be mortal after he sinned, his natural vitality did not diminish because his body had been designed not to age. And what had happened was, in fact, that Adam's descendants had inherited this quality. Now, what we see is that right after the great flood, okay, which we are going to touch on next year, please God, um, with Noah, there was a change in the composition of the atmosphere. Um, there, there was climate change in a big way. And uh, that, says our rabbis, reduced man's natural vitality. And there you go. This is for you, Rene. Men started eating meat. When did we start eating meat? By Noah. We will discuss it again when we get there. And that weakened his constitution. Um, and so all of these factors, the environmental factors, and then the dietary factors came about that um, we actually – became weakened and we came closer to the 120 year range than the 1000 year range. Having said all of that and discussing the longevity, now let's go back to the verse where it's actually talking about Noach. Noach was 500 years old when he became a father. He fathered three sons. They called them Shem, Ham and Yafet. Now Shem was Apparently, according to many, many opinions, he wasn't the oldest of Noah's sons, but he was mentioned first for a number of reasons. The first is that he was the most righteous of Noah's sons. Um, he was born circumcised like Noah, um, and uh, he actually became the ancestor of Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, our forefather, um, follows his lineage back to Shame. Um, and of course, we know that shame was very, very uh, holy. He was very, very much connected with God. Um, we told um, in the Mephorashim, in the explanations on the Torah, that he actually served as a high priest in his time. Um, and that in his territory, this is, this is where we would be building later on down the line, the holy temple, the Beit HaMikdash. We're also told that God waited 340 years before punishing the people who built the Tower of Babel, and that follows after Noah, um, the whole story with the Tower of Babel, um, and that was because of shame. So he, he, he waited for shame to pass away before he actually... Uh, 
destroyed the Tower of Babel. So Shem was a good guy. He was a tzaddik. He was a person who he was righteous. He was very much connected with God. And in fact, we know that he established the famous yeshiva of Shem and Aver, um, which was used much in, in much later times. We know that Rivka, when she was pregnant with Yaakov and Esav, with Isaac and es- I mean with Jacob and Esau, um, and she had terrible pains, she went to the yeshiva of Shem and Aver to seek counsel. And that's where she received the prophecy that um, she would have two nations within her. We know that when Yaakov later on ran away from Esau, his brother, who, who sought to kill him, he actually, on his way out to Lavan, to his uncle, to Rivka's brother, he spent 14 years learning Torah in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver. So Shem, um, that son, the, 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 the son mentioned first, albeit that he wasn't the oldest, um, is actually very, very prominent throughout the biblical account of Genesis. Another opinion holds that Yafet was the oldest, Shem was the second, and Ham was the youngest. Others say that Shem, in fact, was the youngest of all three. Another opinion say that Shem and Yafet, in fact, were twins. Now, one of the interesting things that if you go back to the 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 lineage that we discussed last week, you'll see that Noah was actually quite old, in fact, very old, before he fathered he fathered his first child. Um, if you look at everybody else, um, Adam was a father at 130, Shet was at 105, then we had 90, 70, 65, 162, 65, 187, 182. All those other nine generations, they were either. They were below 200. Let's just put them all into that, that, uh, um, you know, the, 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 that, that, that group. Noah, on the other hand, did not have children until he was 500 years old. And the reason, um, given is that Noah allowed so much time to pass was that he actually saw that the generations before him were extremely wicked. And that they were, he knew they were going to be wiped out by a great flood. And so Noah prevent, a God prevented Noah from having children so that they, that he would not suffer with them. What does that mean? Because whether Noah's sons were righteous or wicked, this would have been an advantage, meaning if they were, if they were righteous um, and would have multiplied, Noah would have had to build not one ark, but many arks to accommodate them all. You know, in the course of 400 years, they would have produced many, many descendants. So, um, you know, just surviving the Great Flood would have been quite another thing. On the other hand, if his descendants would have turned out wicked, Noah would have been very pained to see them die in the flood. So um, God withheld children from Noah just until um, the, the Great Flood and Yafet um, assuming that we're just taking the literal translation, um, Yafet was born um, less than a hundred years. He was less than a hundred years old when the Great Flood occurred. No, again, so Noah was five hundred when he had his first son, and at, he was around about six hundred at the time of the flood. You, we will see that later, and so his oldest son was only ninety-nine years. Old, so that is a very, very interesting thing. Um, one other 
sideline mentioned, but just something that can pertain to us today, is that before the Torah was given, a person could not be punished in this world until he was 100 years old. And after the giving of the Torah, this age was reduced to 20. And so we hold that today, that even though uh, we say to our children of 12 and 13 when they bat and bar mitzvah that uh, – you know, they're now men and women and they've entered into the congregation of Israel as adults. Um, parents are responsible still for them till the age of 20. Um, I guess when you lived to a thousand, so you had to, you were responsible for their, their behavior, good and bad, until they were a hundred years old. Quite fascinating, um, and interesting. Um, and then the Torah then starts a new chapter. Chapter 6, which we're now going to read the next eight verses. Um, And again, here the Torah touches on something quite fascinating, quite interesting. Um, It reads like this, verse 1. Now it happened that man began to increase on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. Now, love your comments on this. Remember, our SMS is 34519, and the WhatsApp is 061-895-1019. Let's ask the question, what is it saying here that this is what happened when man began to increase on the face of the earth, daughters were born to them? Surely you should have just said children or, you know, lots of kids um, were born, why are they mentioning particularly the daughters? Well, here is a myth that we're about to uh, explode, we're about to take away. Um, it says here that the Torah says this to teach a man that he should not feel bad when he has a daughter. There is this, I've got to say, idiotic notion Okay, that, you know, when one has a girl, it's just not as exciting as having a boy or, you know, what's important is, is, is having, is having the boy over the girl. Today, it's, it's, I think, a little bit more relaxed, but certainly, um, still culturally, um, and certainly going back, uh, generations, you know, having a boy was the epitome of, uh, of, of, of passing on the inheritance over to the next generation. Girls were, certainly did not have too much standing. And, um, we're taught in the Torah that in fact, having a, a daughter is a greater blessing. Listen out there. Um, having a daughter is a greater blessing than having a son. And, um, the rabbis learn it from this verse. You know, the Midrash tells us, that when Rabbi Shimon had a daughter, Rabbi Chia, his mate, visited him and said, God is now beginning to bless you. Why? Because the family's increased through daughters. And he said, how do we know that? Because this is alluded to the verse and Rabbi Chia mentioned this verse, that now this happened when man began to increase on the face of the daughters were born to them. So he says to Rabbi Shimon, um, who had a daughter, now you are going to see God beginning to bless you. Which means that the birth of a daughter brings not only a blessing to her birthplace, but to the entire face of the earth. And 
Why? Because when a woman marries and she builds a family, she won't, she doesn't only necessarily build a family in her specific place, but she gives birth then to further offspring that will populate the face of the earth. Um, the Midrash also gives a, another story of Rabban Gamliel's daughter. When she was married and about to leave with her husband, she asked her father for a blessing. Now, this certainly is not a Jewish mother blessing. It came from a Jewish father. Um, Rabban Gamliel said, may you leave and not return. And a little while later, um, she had a son and Rabban Gamliel visited her and he said, may the word woe or oi never leave your mouth. So the daughter was taken aback and she said, what, why, what, what have I done? Like, gee, when I had my son, it sounded like you cursed me. And uh, Rabban Gamliel said, no, in fact, I've blessed you twice. The first blessing of may you leave and not return is a blessing that you will always live with your husband in love and in peace. And you will never have the need to return to my house. That is a blessing. And the second blessing of may the word woe, or let's put it in more colloquial uh, uh phraseology may the word oi never leave your mouth he says that is a blessing because that is a blessing that your son should live long and be healthy so every day you won't go oi he didn't eat and oi he didn't pray and oi he didn't study does that sound like a Jewish mother today <laughs> so Rabban Gamliel certainly gave those blessings over uh, to them just Talking in a way of giving blessings in a, in a roundabout way, there's a very, very interesting piece of Gomorrah in the Talmud. We are told that Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yehuda, um, they were disciples, by the way, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. When they left Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, um, he told them, go to these great sages and um, let them bless you. And when, when – so Rabbi Shimon – Son, sorry, Rabbi Shimon told his son, go to Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yehuda and get a blessing before you leave. So they went and he got the following blessing. I want to read it to you and tell me if you think that this is a blessing. It said as follows, may you sow and not reap, bring in and not send out, send out and not bring in. May your house be destroyed and may your store constantly inhabited. Your table overturned, and may you never see a new year. So that was the blessing that Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yehuda gave Rabbi Shimon's son. And uh, Rabbi Shimon's son came back and he said, gee, dad, you know, it's never mind that they didn't bless me. You cannot believe how many curses they heaped on me. Um, their, their words gave me goose pimples. I'm frightened. So Rabbi Shimon calmed his son, son down and he said, no. He said, listen carefully because there's no blessings pressure, more precious than these. And let me explain to you what they said. And he explained, he said, you shall sow and not reap means that you shall have children and they shall not die. And you shall bring in and not send out means that you shall bring in your daughter-in-laws to your household and not have the need to send out your sons when they marry. And when they said you shall send out and not bring in, they intended that you marry your daughters off well so that they never have the need to return back to your house. 
When they said, your house shall be destroyed and your store completely inhabited, they were referring to this world, which is considered a store. We know a person goes to the store, to the shops to buy food. As we come to this world, we are here in order to gain good deeds. And we can then dwell at peace in our house, which is the grave. So when they went and said, your house um, shall be destroyed, your house, which is the grave, will be destroyed. Your store, on the other hand, that which you've gathered in this world will be constantly inhabited, means you shall live long. As for the blessing that they said, your table shall be overturned, their intent was that it should be overturned because you have so many children and grandchildren at the table. And may you never see a new year means that you shall never experience the death of a wife and have to marry a new one. So this was the explanation of the blessings um, given. And, of course, I'm sure that many of you out there are thinking like, how can you why, – why speak in such a manner? Why just not give the blessings outward? Why do you have to have say something and say it in a roundabout way and then have to go and get an explanation on what it is you're saying? So one of the explanations is given by a sage that lived in the 1500s, Rabbi Yehuda Sonchen, and he said – he explained that the main effect of a blessing depends on prayer. And in order to confer blessing, one must be great enough that his merit will cause the blessing to come true. So these sages felt that if they openly best blessed the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, they would be committing the sin of pride. But they didn't want to refuse to bless him because Rabbi Shimon had sent their son to them. So what they did is they conferred the blessing that appeared as if it was a curse. But of course, they were giving it to him in a very, very... Um, clever way So what we learn Over here is that When one confers the blessing Okay upon the other Can you imagine how haughty And how hoo hoo Rabbi Shimon's son would have felt If he came back with this bag full of Blessings he wanted to keep them in a state of humility And so they, they covered it They clouded it in the manner In which they they said it. Um, also, one of the other things that we learn from there is that when you give a blessing, um, and then he had to go back to his his father who explained the blessing, and for him to hear the blessing again, it's actually giving a strength to the blessing. That is why when we hear good news, we say Mazel Tov, but amongst many people we say Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. Reason being that we actually like confer it and stamp it and restamp it again, and we give a, um, an, a you know a much greater attention to it. And more than that, when we do get blessings from anybody, and it can be just a simple thing, may you just have a good day. Learn to say Amen, because when you say Amen and you pay um, attention to what people have said, you are conferring that blessing to come into your life in a much a, a greater way, a much much greater way. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we are going through the final few verses of the books. The book of Genesis, and we're going to look at verse 2. We were discussing just before the break that one should take cognizance of blessings that are conferred upon us um, and um, and even in giving blessings that give it not single-fold, double-fold, triple-fold. And when you do hear a blessing come your way, say amen because these blessings certainly can then come into um 
in, 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 into, into fruition. And that was derived from the fact that it's a great thing. When daughters are born, we took a little bit of a, a side road over there just understanding um, the idea. Now, what happened to these daughters? Vayeru b'nei ha'elohim et b'not adam The sons of the leaders saw the daughters of man. Ki tovat because Tkitovot, they were good, Heina, they took for themselves wives from whomever they, cho- they chose. So what happened? We had now the proliferation, the, the growing, the expanding of civilization, and um, even those that rose into power, things were unbelievably corrupt. The judges, the government officials, they were all corrupt and wicked, and uh, they just helped themselves to women wherever they found them. It said that they, they there was a lot of licentious, um, um, licentious behavior, negative sexual behavior. They would have women walking up and down, parading naked in the streets, and there really wasn't anybody to punish these um, evil evil doers. They there was a law that made that, that was made that when a father married off his daughter on the night before the wedding, he would have to send her to the leader to check out that 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 she was fine. So it became a very morally corrupt place with a a, a lot of um, negativity coming in. Um, from from the sphere of of sexual activity and um it was very very prevalent absolutely everywhere and god looked down and he did not really um enjoy nor did he agree to this behavior one of the things that we know is held in absolute high regard in judaism is the marriage of man and woman and the holiness the space that is held between them. There are many, many laws in Judaism that guard the sanctity of marriage. And certainly, um, and I guess we can identify with it today as much as it was in um, many, many years gone by in in the time of um, the generations we're talking about then, um, the openness and the acceptability of any and all kind of sexual activity without parameters, without boundaries, without borders, certainly brought down the generation into a very, very negative um, space. It also then not only breeded um, this, 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 this terrible behavior, but it also had the offshoots that they then also became robbers, they were stealing, they were pilfering. There was absolutely no regard. regard. There was an absolute destruction of, of, of society. So it says in verse 3 and 4, Vayar Hashem lo yadun ruchi ba'adam lo'olam b'shagam hu basar. Okay, God says, my spirit cannot be part of man like this forever. Okay, because he is only flesh, and so he says there, I'm going to cut down the lifespan to 120 years. Then we are introduced to um, a group of people called the Nephilim, which um, is translated in many ways, but let's just read it as Nephilim right now. I'll get back to that word. There were... Um, 
these Nephilim, giants, titans, all sorts of names given to them. Um, in those days, and after the um, and since the sons of the leaders came to these daughters of man, they also <coughs> they also got together with these girls. They fathered children, and out came mighty mighty men. Vayar Hashem ki rabas ras adam ba'aretz. God saw the wickedness on the earth and and that it had increased. Vechol yetsa machshavot libo rak rakol hayom, and that the every urge in the person's heart and thought was only to do evil all day long. They had literally swept into an immoral, base um, society. And what happens after there? God regretted that he had made man on this earth and there was great anguish in his heart. So uh, what we are really, the picture we are painting here is that we have a society that literally lost every single conceivable um, uh Form of morality, of kindness, of of compassion, of humanity, of holiness, of purity, and they had degraded themselves into really a very very bad place. Now, who were these um, Nifi Lim? Okay, some translate them as giants. Well, so we there actually have quite a few names. Um, these people. Were, were were pretty mighty. They were they were they're actually called by quite a few names in the Torah. They're called Iyumim, Rephaim, Giborim, Zamzumim, Anakim, Ivim, and Nephilim. Those are seven names. Even though the Torah calls them Nephilim, they're used by they they're sometimes described in different names. Why they called that? Let's just quickly go through them. When they were called Amim. It was because anybody who looked at them was filled with terror, with Ama, just as a person is filled with terror when he sees a lion. They were huge. They were they were really scary to look at. Rephaim, um, why? Because when one heard their voices, their heart would melt and they would become Rafa, would become um, soft like wax. They were called Giborim because they were mighty. They were physically strong and very powerful. Zamzumim, because they had prepared for battle. They were constantly armed like warriors and uh, said they, they, their armor would rattle and scrape like zamzem. Would, would, you'd, you'd hear them coming. They were called anakim because they were so tall they would eclipse anak the sun. And they were called nephilim. Nephilim actually comes from the word nafal. It said they were so tall they appeared to be falling. And finally, they were called avim, uh, avavim. Avavim is the Aram- comes from the Aramaic word, which means a snake. And these people were like experts, apparently, um, in all to- types of soil. And um, they were quite cunning. They would discern by tasting the soil, smelling it. They really, really were a scary bunch. And they started having... Uh, Relations with the daughters of man, and so we landed up now with a society that was pretty, pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs>
You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Chabad of Norwood and Pick and Pay have teamed up to bring you a fantastic Hanukkah experience. Visit their Hanukkah Discovery Center located in the Center Court at Norwood Mall for fun, hands-on Hanukkah learning experience for children of all ages. It's open all day until the end of Hanukkah, and everything is free. There will also be lighting, the greatest. Um, Africa's largest dreidel menorah on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights at 6.30 with free donuts every night. Kids, come say hi to Dreidelman and Yehuda Maccabee and get your own dreidel and balloon. Thursday night is kids' night, and it starts at 5.30 with a magic show and a children's program. You won't want to miss there. We are just trying to finish up the book of Bereshit, and we are almost at the end um, one of the questions is how did how does the Torah go and say that God regretted? Like, didn't God God is God? Did He not know that they were going to, um, you know, behave the way they're going to behave, and that that punish, punishment would have to be meted out? And uh, it says that once a Gentile came and asked Rabbi Yehoshua ben Kacha this exact question. He said to him, "How can you say that your God knows the future? Because if He knows what will happen." Why does the Torah then say God regretted it? You know, how do you explain this? So Rabbi Yehoshua ben Karcha said, did, did you, do you have a son? Uh, the guy answered, yes. He says, when you had a son, what did you do? He says, well, when he was born, I was extremely happy. I made a great feast and I invited many people. So the rabbi said, well, very good. But don't you know that this child would eventually grow old and die? So um, he answered, um, yes, but... I do know that in a time of joy, you are happy. And in the evil time or in a negative time, one is not. So replied Rabbi Yeshua ben Kacha, the same is true here. God knew the people would eventually sin and be destroyed by the flood, but he didn't refrain from creating man. He knew that there would be certain you know, people that would come out that would be tzaddikim, would be righteous people, Noach, Enoch, Metushelach, Lemech. But it still pained them that they, they sinned. And so that's how they answered that. We'll end it off, off with the two verses that finish up the Pasha of Bereshit. By Yomer Hashem, God says, Emche et ha'adam ashe barati me'al ha'adama me'adam ad behema ad remes ve'ad of ha'shamayim ki nichamti ki asitem. I am going to now obliterate humanity um, with, that I created on this on this earth, I'm going to obliterate man and beasts, creeping things, and birds of the heaven, for I have regretted that I have made them. And finally, the verse ends off, V'noach matzachen Hashem, but Noach found favor in God's eyes, which means everything, everyone alive at the time was to be destroyed, with the exception of Noach and his sons, because God saw in Noach, as we said last week, his name is from the word Menachem or Nachama, consolation. He gave Noach the intelligence to take care of all the, of, of all the animals. He was absolutely a very, very kind man. He was very, very precious to him. And so he managed to identify one person that, um, would actually look, look, you know, look after um, those creatures that were going to be saved. And that, ladies and gentlemen, out there concludes the parsha of Bereshit, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazek. We should gain strength and be strengthened by the learning of Torah. I've hoped that you have gained from uh, learning about the beginnings of this world um, and learned lessons on purpose, why you are here, what we are doing here, and just giving you a greater understanding 
of how creation happened. Um, I'm going to be taking a leave right now um, over the December holiday. So I wish each and every single one of you a Chag Hanukkah Sameach. You should have a wonderful week that is filled with tremendous light. Um, if you are going away, go safely, enjoy. And please, God, I will be back early in January where we will be starting a new Pasha of Noach looking into the texts of the Torah and learning the many life lessons. In the meantime, have a great day.